This is Paul. And I'm Sheila. And today we're going to discuss the fourth episode of CBS All Access's interpretation of The Stand. This one is called The House of the Dead. Ominous title. I was going to say very ominous. What are we talking about there? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's very open because, I mean, we came from the world of the dead couple episodes back and now we're establishing this new civilization i have lots of thoughts about the new civilization thing we can talk about that later with the city watch uh-huh. i feel like this is the harbinger of randall really when they talk about the house of the dead like i feel like this was his introduction via nadine the story's opening up more to now okay we've got this established and we're moving more towards the bad man coming so we saw Ferrari Man last episode with the stigmata, and now Nadine is making her moves. So I feel like the House of the Dead is is an homage, I guess, to the Queen of the Dead, which was what we saw emblazoned on the floor in the last episode. Does it tie in at all to that Johnny Cash song that played at the beginning? Don't take your guns to town. First of all, anytime you're going to bring Johnny Cash in, it's it's really good. But it's loaded. He, it's not like you're just playing some song. <laughs> you know, no, it's it was you're playing you know, the man in black your... here. <laughs> <laughs> not the dark man, different guy. Right, right. Yeah, I mean that song was really great to juxtapose with the council coming before the town to give them updates because they're they're hearing rumors. Yeah, so it was an interesting song to bring in to say like you know let's not all come in with our guns blazing and and that's exactly what we saw coming right out of the gate. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to rely on on you as my as my musical expert for the stand podcast, I'm afraid. No worries. That and when we get to it, the song that they played during the outro, I kept trying to get Alexa to tell me the name of the damn song and it, and it was like, uh, I don't know. And it's like, oh, it's me. called Give Me Little Sign by Brenton Wood. I am not familiar with the artist or the song, but I did get the title of it. I shazammed it. Alexa's not always that reliable for me. You know, sometimes she just acts like she doesn't have a brain. And <laughs> today was one of those days for me. Unfortunately, I was using my phone already, so I couldn't like... Oh, you can't split it right. Right, right, yeah, right. You can't right. shazam something that you're watching on your phone. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. As you mentioned, this episode featured our, our first big collection of the Boulderites trying to form their government. All this stuff is, is very close to what happened in the book, almost exactly how mm -hmm. it happened in the book. As we mentioned, they've been very effectively chopping things up to try to speed the story along so that we don't get mired down in details and minutia, which can happen. <laughs> in, in the book like for instance in this episode the power comes back on Yay! and you know we get a little recognition of the of the team trying to work on the power uh they stand up during the meeting when when mm -hmm. larry takes control uh but in the book let me let me just tell you i think we had to learn the name of like five or six staff members <laughs> <laughs> what, yes it was very detailed all the stuff they were looking for. We got like, their birth weight, you know, we got <laughs> <laughs> their right. astrological sign. Dietary needs, right. It was, it was, the, whole, it was the whole thing. Sorry, Stephen King. Love you. 
yeah, yeah, but it's good this way too. Um, have you been paying much attention to the online response to the series? I have. I've been. I've been. Uh, you know, shout out to the, the the stand Facebook group. It's it's a really engaged group. Yeah, but I I listen to the comments. I I look to see what's going on. I look to see what the you know the finger of the pulse is, or the put my finger on the pulse. There we go. Put yeah. the finger on the pulse. Um, so I don't know. I feel like there's a pretty even split of people who are like, this is not the way the book is supposed to be interpreted. Yeah. And then the people who are like, hey, I realized that this is a tomb and we have to pare it down and there are extraneous details. So I'm on the side of the fence. I was a little skeptical going into this. I'm like, how in the world are you going to pare down a 1200 page book with the level of detail that Stephen King brings to, to his novels? So I'm appreciating the flashbacks. I'm used to this as, an, as a way to tell stories. I don't find it confusing. You just have to pay attention. I'm enjoying how they've adapted this and how they've interpreted it. And I feel good having Owen King as one of the writers for this because I know that he's going to make sure that his father's work is done well by. Piggybacking on your shout out, that is that group that you're talking about is run by friend of Pod Clubhouse, Anna yes. Hoagie. She and our partner, Mike, ran a very successful podcast for a show called Nosferatu, which... <laughs> strangely enough is in the is in the king family a book written by joe hill son of stephen king brother of owen king i think he produced the show but i think he was just sort of like nominally involved sort of like george martin and, and game of thrones but at any rate she runs a very active group and Maybe it's just the time of day that I log in or something, but it seems like the assholes come to town <laughs> and, <laughs> and and are just trying to every comment is is I hate it. It's not it's not the book. I hate it. Right. I mean, if you're going to have I mean, if you're going to have that opinion, really just don't tune in. I do see the people who are like, you know, major fan of the book. And I'm always like when they leave with major fan of the book, I'm like, Oh, this is going to go back. And then they're like, but I understand that, you know, they have to adapt this for television and not every, you know, detail, like the whole chapter on the people who just, you know, died of unfortunate circumstances. Well, I'm glad that they didn't make it into this book. They survived Captain Trips, but then they, they encountered, you know, um, crazy, just all, all kinds of just, you know, woes befalling them, just natural causes. Right. Mm -hmm, right. So the people who appreciate the book and understand that there has to be these liberties, not, I'm not going to say liberties, they just have to adapt the book for television. They have to make it work story-wise. They have to make it work time-wise. So yeah. I appreciate the fact that they're the people who are like major fan of the book like what they're doing here and they're defending the story. They're saying, well, they took the, the meaty parts and you know, that's the part that we know. But then if you've really missed the book, go back and read the book. So I've seen a lot of that, which I like. We could have a separate podcast that's just a discussion and of of fandom in general yeah. you know like say the hunger games or harry potter where the movie adaptations of those books are for the most part this highly faithful almost like line for line kind of thing but on the other hand if you've read those books it's almost like they were written to be that way you know right. Right. It's remarkable, in fact, like Hunger Games in particular is like, this seems more like a script than a book <laughs> in, in some ways. Whereas this book was written to be a novel first and foremost, 
and it was written so long ago that you have to bring it up to code. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Basically, absolutely. You know, I agree. So uh, it's one of those things people go into with this expectation, whereas, say, Marvel fans, they're not getting anything close to what was in the comic books, except for like the names. Right. And maybe the colors of some of the <laughs> Right. Right. I mean, it's that far removed from, you know, canon. And somehow it's still the greatest thing in the world. So right. that, that would be the, the bigger discussion of fandom, I guess. It's just sort of like, where's that sweet spot where people allow themselves to forgive changes to the canon, the source material? Or is it something intrinsic to the types of fans? I don't know. I'm, we're not really going to be able to unpack that here. It's just that what we're seeing right now is kind of a split. If you go to IMDb, last week I noticed when you and I talked that mm -hmm. it was pulling in a 5.4 out of 10. This week it's pulling out a 5.3. And I saw people actually enjoyed the third episode more than they liked the first then two. one and two. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm seeing that too. I'm seeing that a lot more people are like, you know, oh, I really liked episode three. Like I was kind of like on the fence for episode one and two, but like it's really hitting its stride now. And I do feel that. I do feel like it is hitting its stride a little bit more. It's, it's the storytelling is easier now that they got some of the big hurdles out of the way. Maybe it has to do with the female directors and writers. Maybe. Who knows? I don't Maybe. know. Maybe. We kept largely the same team for this episode. We added a couple of new writers. Mm-hmm. And we kept Jill Kill. Jill Kill. Jill like Kill. her a lot. And Owen King. But then we added series creator uh, Benjamin Cavell and a guy named Nate Lee, whose work I, I don't really know, but I know that he has swum <laughs> in, <laughs> in the pool with Josh Boone and Jill Kill in the past. Oh, it, so all of that just gels nicely. It does. Kind of. that, that is how Hollywood works. If, you, if I liked you in the past, I'm going to like you again. <laughs> exactly. And now we're away from kind of the most of the character introduction stuff. We did get a new character this episode. She's the piece of shit named Julie Laurie. We don't get trash can man yet, unless I'm unless like no, not yet. Unless I close my eyes. Nope. So I guess after that manifesto of <laughs> random random thoughts random on, rants from paul and sheila yeah on on, on the fandom of, of the stand i guess let's dig in let's let's take a look first of all at a few months ago on the road to boulder in virginia with fran and harold i have met the man that played the truck driver before i love angus samson in person, he is a much more laid-back guy than the intense, I could kill you and pull your eyes out and eat them kind of characters <laughs> that, he, that he normally plays. I know him best from Night Flyers. Shout out to Mike because he's the one who had turned me on to that way back when with a pop culture review. Yeah. And he just plays this intense psychopath. And now he plays this intense psychopath. <laughs> So I just, I like his character that he plays in this, and I like him from Night Flyer. So shout out to Angus Samson. He has a history of playing intense guys also. The kind of characters he typically plays are dangerous men. He doesn't play, he may have been in the librarians, but I doubt he was a librarian. <laughs> that makes sense. Absolutely. He holds up his end at the bargain playing a very dangerous man in this episode. This was page for page out of the book. This kind of training, I will say, 
that that reading and seeing the stand and and shows like it say like i don't know the book of eli or something like that has given me has made it so that if you know we do have to go balls to the wall I'm going to be a shoot first kind of guy. <laughs> I'm afraid <laughs> I'm going to be a totally different guy in the apocalypse. I'm sorry. Right now I'm a pretty laid back podcaster. <laughs> uh Oh, Paul, I don't know if I want to see the other side of you. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, no one does. No one does. You do not want to unleash this beast. I'm, I'm afraid as a five foot six, 150 pound man, one hit, from from a guy the size of angus i'm dead i'm just dead (laughs) (laughs) so these are just the policy changes that 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 will have to be adopted if it turns like an all or nothing phase in society but let's focus on the scene this in a roundabout way was our introduction to an intense young woman named dana jurgens who we need later on to become one of the spies for uh boulder She's a good choice <laughs> based on yes. based on what she is willing to do um, or finds She's herself willing to resourceful. do. Resourceful. Let's put it that way. She picked her moment and mm. and knew a him or me moment when she saw it, which will come in handy on her route to Vegas. To New Vegas, yeah. Did you remember this, this scene in the book to make a strong comparison? I did because just of the... Um, the impact that these two women had on Fran when she was writing about them in her diary. I just remember her, her just feeling a little bit jealous of them and then things with, with Stu kind of turned in a good way for her. So I just, I did remember the, the scene pretty, pretty well. That diary that you mentioned, I kind of wish, you know, when you have a show that the nature of modern television requires that that just for economics you have to change out the staff in order to keep things moving along especially when there's like changes of location and that kind of stuff so Mm -hmm. you you have different directors and different writers that are you know more heavily involved here less involved there etc but that element of the diary i know it'll probably kind of come and go but it feels like something that could have really added like a through line or, or yeah it could have helped the narrative i thought and fill in some backstory a little more in a streamlined way i think but it's here now yeah it's and here it, now it's here now and it's being used to kind of connect some of those thoughts so um you know so it was kind of intentional that i brought that up <laughs> and w- w- one of those complaints that i've seen is that people don't seem to like this new franny they don't like the odessa young franny that i don't know if they had a different picture in their mind, or they liked the Molly Ringwald, which we did, which we described as a more Molly Ringwald-esque <laughs> version, <laughs> for lack no of offense. a better term. No offense, but I, I find this Brandy to be a lot more scrappy, and I feel like she's, with the exception of the suicide attempt, that's the only thing that's not sitting well with me. Hmm. I I feel like everything else like is is hewing pretty close to to what I envision her, you know, from the book to be. As opposed to Molly, which, you know, there's nothing wrong with her performance, I think. It, it's it's more like, this is a person based on the young people that I know. I mean, I don't know that, that many, but there are a few in my sphere. This is a person that is not acting terribly out of step w- w- with how I think young people act. In fact, she's probably acting a smidge 
stronger overall than some of them that I know. Um, stronger is kind of a, a vague term, but just she is having a hard time here and there. She's, but she's also more resilient um, than, say, the this is a loaded term, but the snowflake reputation that some of the people in that age group <laughs> are displaying. Um, these days, I don't want to start a whole snowflake conversation, but I just mean, just I just mean like overly, I don't know, sensitive to this and that. She's, I'm, I'm trying to describe a, a very human and, and, and realistic performance. I'm not sure what it is people needed out of her, but we've been saying that this is updating for now, and she's acting like a now young adult, not a 80s young adult. She's acting probably in a way that's maybe a little bit beyond the years that she's supposed to be she's supposed to be like what 21 or so in the book i think that's the range yeah like yeah just she doesn't right come across to me as a 21 year old in in this series and and i say that in a good way she's had to you age know? herself up for sure yeah yeah it's like she's you know on the youngest end of the the council but she doesn't act like a 21 year old like i know some 21 i know some people in the 21 year old range and they would not be acting as responsibly i think no offense to them as as this friend would I agree. If you are one of the people out there that doesn't like Fran, that's somehow listening to this podcast, let's just stick in there and, and, and wait to decide at the end of the show what you think of Fran on the whole, yeah. <laughs> rather than and, your first impression. And I do like her so far more than the Molly Ringwald portrayal. That's fair. She's, like I said, she's scrappier. She's a little bit more within her own mind. Um, well, less stereotyped, I think. Like, yeah, I'm and a young woman. Was like, yeah. a, like a supermodel at that point. Like, not that she was a model, but like she was like had this larger than life kind of persona. So I like having this relatively unknown actress playing her. But yeah, like Molly had so much baggage to bring in there with yeah. like the characters she'd already played. The it's funny to she say, was but the like, it girl. yeah, the well, and even just like the red hair, the pale skin, the red lips. I mean, it was the whole thing. Yeah. Like this is Molly, you know, and, and this, this actress doesn't bring any of that. And I think sometimes people don't know what to do with that. Yeah. But I think sometimes people just don't know how to react to somebody who's that fresh and new. It's almost like this is like, and introducing Odessa Young. That's fair. I mean, she does have other credits, but, but they're not at this level right um, they're not in, and especially not within the north american right consumer <laughs> bubble that we live in that matters <laughs> but yeah this was a powerful scene that helped build these characters it, and it helped lock in that that if harold and franny are gonna make it to anywhere they're gonna need help they're gonna need not necessarily grown-ups they're just gonna need larger numbers you know safety in numbers yeah basically yes does it have to be Stu and Glenn? No, it is just more. It helps that it's Stu and Glenn. <laughs> right, it helps that it's them. And it also, it appears that it's the only p other two people that they've met along the way. Well, Stu was the first one they've met. Let me retract a little bit. It might have needed to be Glenn. Maybe not Stu. Stu's intimidating yeah. to Harold, but it did yes. need to be Glenn. Yeah. He, he spoke his language. He appealed to... Yes. He turned his logic around on him. To Harold, yes. Glenn figured out how to, to tune Harold, to, to tune him in and, and bring him into the fold. Whereas Stu, from the second that Harold laid eyes on him, was just like, this is a threat. Glenn played Harold like a fiddle this episode. What's kind of amusing about that scene is that Glenn undid him while partially high. 
<laughs> it didn't yeah. even it didn't even take his full brain power. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't need all of that. No. He didn't need all that bandwidth to flip Harold. No, no. I mean, if you're thinking that Glenn was just vaping whatever his vapors vape, uh, I challenge that idea. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. I believe you're not going to get a challenge from me. I, I think he he had his own blend. Yes, his own stash that he brought on the road with him. Yes, yes. There were some Did you catch the nugget? Did you catch the little nugget from the book? Like, book lovers are going to love this little nugget that was given. What's that? When they're having the conversation and Glenn has Harold pegged as this man of science, Harold's eating a baby Ruth candy bar, which mm. in the book, he is leaving these wrappers of baby roots all along the trail, as well as to say that Harold and Franny were here, they, Stu was finding baby Ruth wrappers. I didn't remember that until now. <laughs> Good call. Excellent call. Point, Sheila. Oh, this is the stuff that I'm the person that like, hey, did you notice the goof in like the continuity? So, but yeah, no, I, I saw that he was eating a baby Ruth because it was crackling and I'm like, what is he, what is he? Oh, he's, oh, he's a baby Ruth. I'm like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> nice touch writers. Aside from my, my warning about the savage Paul that will be unleashed in the all or nothing stage, I also have a warning to all my apocalypse survivors out there that, that if we're all having the same MFing dream, <laughs> every time we meet somebody, my, me and my, my posse, we are going to test you <laughs> individually. To see if we are all having the dream. Because if you just fudge your way through that stuff, we done. So I have a question. So Apocalypse Paul. So mm -hmm. we've had Pandemic Paul, right? Because mm -hmm. we've been in pandemics. So we've been locked down, quarantine in different phases and levels of severity. How has your behavior changed from, say, I don't know, February of 2020 till January of 2021? Well, Pandemic Paul was uh, and is more built for this than Joe Average in that I'm an introverted person. I don't have an overwhelming need to go see and explore and do and zipline and shit and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, so the fact that I don't get to do those things, the one thing that I miss, and this is true and this is not, you know, you can say he's an idiot or whatever out there, but I miss the movies. That is the one thing that I miss. I don't miss, you know, being able to do a lot of stuff. I, can, I know that that's going to come later i hope but but the but the part where movies and and tv and all that kind of stuff has been stunted and rerouted and all that kind of stuff has been a big downer i mean i i'm i guess i'm tuning out a little bit the human toll here because i know it's so massive that it's way too depressing to to dwell on for long periods so I have to turn to, well, what affects me? Well, it's the movies. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. I'm not going as stir crazy as others. What about you? Um, I, I joke around that, like, I've been training for this my whole life. Like, as a latchkey kid from the 80s, you know, I had to go home and close the door, lock the door, not open the door, not go anywhere. We could order food. Food food came from the door because my mom was a single mom. So, you know, you had to make do with what you had. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm well versed in staying put and staying in my lane. <laughs> <laughs> I'm decidedly more of an extroverted person, so I do seek out people to I podcast with, so that's fun. This has been my pandemic um, 
sanity saver doing this is that i get to, to reach out and talk program. to people yes it is my outreach <laughs> program it's 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 you know it's keeping me from having to go a little stir crazy because it gives me something to focus on i mean i'm working from home which is great but i used to do a lot of work for pop culture review and i would do that in my quote-unquote spare time basically when i was commuting i would be doing a lot of the pop culture review stuff so this is nicely filled in some of that time and then other friends i'm seeking out through zoom like we have weekly calls and things like that and i just i'm a user of technology my my groceries come to my door if i can't get on amazon you really don't need it i was struggling early on but i'm hitting my stride now of literally going through netflix (laughs) but i do like if i had to think like i do miss going to the movies i do miss sitting in a restaurant every once in a while like i'm getting tired of my own kitchen four walls notwithstanding but uh and now my four walls are getting and now i'm down to three walls in this room where I'm recording right now. But no, it's it's been okay because I know that's going to be a lot longer and I'm just grateful that, you know, my friends and my family for the most part are very healthy and avoiding mm. this. I'm, I'm doing the, I'm trying to do the best game of, you know, hide and seek with this thing that feels very inevitable. I agree. Like my Facebook feed has been all of a sudden rife with people yes. that thought they were doing everything right and then now they got it. Um, so within the last 24 hours, the, the staggering number of people in my sphere that have come up positive is just something that I'm, it's making my heart very sad, but we have to, you know, just keep persevering and doing what we can do. Exactly. I think we're only at the halfway point as much stock as people put into the new year passing as a marker for, for better things to come. That is a great way to to motivate yourself into having a, a positive headspace. But then there's the facts that the vaccine is going to roll out slow. People are not going to want to take it for a variety of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, there's probably going to be a clash between, say, entities such as churches, schools, employers, asking for people to take the vaccine at first and then trying to require it at a point and is that even legal for them to do you know and then we're gonna have to go through all that i'm I'm, I'm, i have my crystal ball right here in front of Mm -hmm. me and i'm seeing that we still have so much shit to go through (laughs) i know everyone's like oh 2021 is gonna be a great year i'm like no let's look forward to 2022 like i feel like then we might get a chance to have the masks come off yeah so while since we've cheered you up yeah really sorry about that yeah right (laughs) i just wanted to make sure i just want to know the poll that i was dealing with i didn't know if i was headed for pandemic poll or apocalypse poll just needed to know apocalypse poll isn't going to jump the gun he's 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 not going to put on his hockey mask and and (laughs) and and start demanding that you turn over your refinery to me me and my gang (laughs) listen Uh, if this book has taught me anything i want a power company i need to i need to get friends with electricians and plumbers i need to get i need to get some handy people in my corner I've been practicing my speech. Uh, you, ever, you, you ever seen the second Mad Max? Mm-hmm. That's the one where he's like, walk away. That's, that's, that's the one. <laughs> <laughs> See, I got it down. Walk away. All right. Okay. Okay. It's a good thing that there's 1,500 miles between this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and backing up slowly. I'll look much, microphone. much larger standing on, you know, like the top of a big rig, you know, in the hockey <laughs> mask. When you get close, the illusion will be completely ruined, and mm. then I have to shoot you. But but <laughs> but if you stay up, far up until on, that point, you will look you will look very menacing, very intimidating. Lighting, etc. Whatever they do for mm. Tom Cruise, they're gonna do for me. 
Yeah, so we got that that solved. He we, makes an appearance in this episode. The, the good cameo for Tom Cruise. He's back on Harold's mirror. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's funny. <laughs> Sorry. That's, that's so funny. We were listening to the news the other day. It was local. It wasn't NPR. It was just somebody. No shit. It was um. It was NPR. I think. Uh-huh. No. Sh- I'm going to mess it up. It was a local news person on the radio because okay. we couldn't get NPR to work on the Alexa. And she could not read the news to save her life. And she got to the very stupid part of the news about those idiots that are still trying to contest the election. Oh, my God. And the relevant part, Sheila. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm enthralled by your stories. I'm along for the ride. Is is that she stumbled so badly that she said that the effort was being led by Texas Senator Tom Cruise. Shut up. <laughs> Isn't that funny? I mean, and she didn't even like go back to correct. I didn't even register. No, no, just kept plowing ahead. Maverick himself is elected yeah. to office here in the in the Lone Star State. Apparently, yeah, I didn't even know he was a resident. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, me neither. I mean, I mean, we do have some famous famous people that have moved here, but sure, he is not one. And he's not one of your two state senators. So. No, I'm afraid not. Not yet. Not state senator, U.S. senator. Not yet, anyway. So yeah, Senator Tom Cruise. I, we, you've heard it here first, people. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, well, not, maybe second. <laughs> they're not even spelled the same cruises. Nope. You know, it's fine. Nope. Anyway. Anywho. One's made up, one's ethnic. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. That That is a fantastic story though. Yeah. Well, that wasn't the only mess up, but that was the most memorable. Okay. So the long and the short of the truck scene is that we do expand the group moving to Boulder under Stu's stewardship we see Fran and and Stu connect while Harold is like holding himself after failing to do much um, right. for his what he thought was his responsibility to protect Fran. It's interesting, you know, James Marsden is like our age or I'll say my age. I'm not going to con- uh, make any uh, opinions about whatever your age may be, but my age <laughs> is north of 40 and and Same. he and he's a little older than me, I think. So I don't think we're supposed to be overly weirded out that if the if the population of the universe is whittled down to less than 1% that people with a 20-year age gap hook up. I think we're supposed to be like, "Meh." And <laughs> whatever blows your hair back. I mean, if it was me, and I, I would sure hope that rules like that would, would, would get relaxed a little bit, <laughs> you, you know? Well, there's really not much of a civilization left to kind of be judgy, so. Yeah, we gotta, we gotta, well, they sure were, they sure <laughs> Wait, were there. I stand corrected. <laughs> right. They did show up for the Boulder meeting. But sure before, they did. before we get there, let's, let's hit the were other. the guys from the Facebook fan group <laughs> in this crowd? Perhaps, perhaps they had the same sense of, of fairness and, and, and righteous indignation giving right that's the best word you got it let's go back to the tom cullen and nick were they in like an ikea or just like a furniture store it was like a home depot slash ikea because it looked like it was like a more like a costco i was trying to figure it out it seemed like they had like a lot of home goods but they also had like home fix it stuff like home improvement sorry my words are failing me 
I think the book Nazis are gonna <laughs> are gonna say that, of course, again, everything was ruined because it it didn't take place in just like a random street in a small town. This whole introduction of Julie Laurie and the shootout and all that kind of stuff. But I think I'd like to say that I like this better and that this makes sense. This is a more sensible place for everybody to have come and stopped. Like, like, mm-hmm. kind of reminds me a little bit of like Zombie Land or something like that, where there it's like we need a calm place where people can sit and they're not out in the open and they're not exposed and and maybe somebody even took refuge here. It it makes sense. What do you think about the change? Well, we saw it in episode two where we met Larry. He was, they were camping out the caravan that he was leading. Exactly. Like a Home Depot or something. They were camped out like a a Home Depot. Yeah, because they had the tents, they had tents and they had the barbecues, like display barbecues. And um, that's what I was joking around. I said, like, when the apocalypse happens, I'm going to follow Larry's cue here. And I'm going to, you know, stock up on a, like a Home Depot next door to a Costco. This way, like between the freezers that, that must have power. This way with the freezer stuff and Costco, I'll be good for years. I, I, I do recall that you had a desire to keep the nugget flow. Um, yeah, I wanted chicken nuggets. Chicken nuggets. I'm like Baby Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> Chicky nuggies, right. Chicky nuggies. <laughs> But I, that to me makes more sense because it's like they are not just going to be out in the open. They are going to be satisfying Maslow's hierarchy of their needs. And they're going to be making sure that they have shelter and that they have food and that they're warm enough. So I think it makes sense that they're in a place. Because then if you're in a place that has couches, then you don't have to worry about changing the sheets. Because you don't have sheets to change in the apocalypse. <laughs> so you just move to a new couch. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right. Similar to the um, change venue because the rest of that stuff pretty much goes like like you'd expect. You have this introduction of this character who's really off a rocker. She's highly offensive. She uses the the language that we discussed last mm-hmm. week that I hate. Um, that makes her like Nick just turns off to her instantly, despite her willingness to bone right then mm-hmm. and there. Which you know, for a lot of men, would be like, well, you know, she's Maybe a little just after that. Maybe <laughs> I right can after. change her. Right? <laughs> Right after, I'll leave with my righteous indignation. You got it. That's probably closer to true. But no, he's got his standards. He's got his friend. um, And that matters more to him than this crazy woman. This moment in time. Exactly. This opportunity. He could not live with himself. And so he's like, we out. Yeah. And they go. Peace out, homie. Man, Nick is... We'll discuss later kind of the complexity of Nick, especially when you see this, how he's very much trying to be the most principled person that he can be. But then he has to deal with Abigail and and that kind of stuff later. Mm -hmm. But they got to run out of there. And this leads us to another change and a Easter egg. And this change made so much sense. Sorry, science uh, made so much sense. <laughs> Your Texas just came out. <laughs> <laughs> made so much sense when I saw it that I always thought Hemingford Home was just the weirdest name. I've been to Nebraska so many times, the exception of like Lincoln. A lot of them have names based in Native American type type mm-hmm. language, and so Hemingford Home really stuck out as like it's very white bread. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> For it to actually be the name of a home where Abigail lives made so much more sense. I thought it was brilliant. So that's why it was stumping Nick, because he was studying the maps. Ah. And he was looking for a place on a map and was coming up empty. He was using the Fruit Loops for guidance. 
So if you are not a book reader, the Easter egg occurred on the bus stop ad for Hemingford Home. The maker himself appeared pictured there. It looked <laughs> to me it looked like he was photoshopped in there, but whatever, it doesn't matter. He's there. Stephen King is who I'm talking about. He, he is pictured there. He shows up in a lot of his work. I don't think he was in It Chapter 1, but he was in It Chapter 2. He was the uh, secondhand store owner. I don't think he was in Doctor's Sleep, but he, he, he kind of shows up. That's probably it <laughs> <laughs> for him in this. He was in the original stand miniseries he played one of the bolder people I, I didn't know that i don't want to mention kind of his big speaking part because it happens much much later so i'll only mention that he's in it but that's it man abigail she barely mobile i guess that's just how she would have to be just you know, her friends all die what are you gonna do just try to walk her your way out of there or just wait to die i'm not sure but that's that's uh, all she had going for her. She had the dreams. It makes you wonder. She was obviously having her own input from the supernatural because she knew Tom. She knew Nick when she saw them. But there's probably not like any kind of like agenda <laughs> or itinerary in these dreams to let you know these people that you're connecting with, they'll be here in two or three days. Don't worry. It's not yeah, a big deal. Yeah, there's no ETA on those dreams. <laughs> right. Because she didn't seem, she seemed fairly resigned. Like, oh, this, this, could be it. This is it, yeah. The, the pills run out tomorrow. Yeah, as much power as it's being consigned or assigned to her from Randall in terms of being her match on Earth, or his major obstacle on Earth, that doesn't mean that she's like, you know, Gandalf. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Her big skill is that she's going to be able to assemble the team to take him down, I think. It's not really that she's overly, innately powerful, per se. What do you think? Right. She's not delivering the, the blows. No. She's, yeah. So she's assembling. Yeah. She's like the, the supernatural hub sending out the shockwaves for the dreams. Whatever it is that's inside or whatever it is that's happening, there's no answers there. It's only that it is happening and that she's kind of the nexus of those things and that they are drawn to her. And it's that kind of like Glenn with Harold, she has the ability to say to these people who are dreaming of both people. I had incorrectly assumed that Larry might be the only one conversing with the dark man, but it turns out all of the five are. Mm -hmm. But she is the one making the pitch that is saying, I don't even know what her argument is exactly, but, but she's got the tools to draw the right people in and, and, and keep, uh, I guess, his forbidden fruit. Temptation. Yeah, yeah, that's a good word. <laughs> your, your religious thesaurus. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, <laughs> give me a word. It, it means wanton stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, in the nowish timeline, there are minor flashbacks that have to do with preparing for the Boulder meeting, but they're not overly important to discuss. It's only that they're trying to strategize what what to say. Right to quell these rumors. Right. It's the weight of leadership. It's not really that they're trying to be dicks or evasive or anything. When you have a large group of people and different interests all heading in generally the same direction, but diverse enough that, that you're just trying to keep everybody on an even keel. If you start throwing around stigmata, eyes turning black and shit like that, you might lose control of the situation. Really quickly, yeah. 
Yeah. Because people are going to jump to conclusions and then mob rule takes over. Is there an argument in your mind for being completely honest with what happened to the Ferrari driver with, it looked like maybe a, a thousand people? Yeah, no, there's no benefit in, in sharing the truth because Glenn is right. He says that, you know, they, they can't really be sure what they saw. We can't infer what's not what's not known. People start, they grasp it at keywords and they'll just run off the rails and they have to maintain order. They don't know what they saw. They don't know if there's more. They have to be honest, but they have to be circumspect, I guess is the word I'm looking for in what they share because they, they don't have all the details. Yeah, that's probably a great guide for any kind of leadership is the being tempted to share what you feel the implications overshare. of a given things are but yeah overshare is, is a is a great word you could be wrong when you're dealing with people and safety if you send people back into a state where it's they're thinking that they're at their lowest hierarchy of needs level, then they will start to do dangerous things with each other to ensure their own survival. This is a great tool that I learned many years ago now in, in my career, is that when you're working with people, you're training people, especially in a new way of thinking, and this is kind of a new way of thinking what they're dealing with in Boulder, you have to meet people where they're at. You know, you have to address them at the, the comfort level where they're at. Not that you're talking down to people, but you're giving them the information that they can digest at this moment in time. And then as their learning grows, as their comfortability level with the new state of affairs grows, and then you bring them along the journey. Basically, they're trying to manage change right now. This is what they're doing at this council, as well as sharing this information. So you have to, you know, bring people to a point where they, they can understand the new world order. And then as they learn and adopt and adapt, then you can keep adding to the pile. But to, to dump at the very beginning a ton of information that, that could be considered useful, but will truly be useless, it's counterintuitive, it's counterproductive, and then you just have to do a lot more backpedaling. So I think the fact that the five of them are sitting around talking about the strategy is also a really good tactic to show that this, this is the shared leadership model, that there's no one decisive leader, even though Stu kind of has that role, but Nick is the voice. So there's really no defined one here. So the fact that they're hashing it out with their different perspectives basically brought them to that point, like meeting people where they're at. Last week, we saw that Larry was having a hard time deciding how he even fit in fit into a leadership structure. This week, we saw him come out of that shell. Each player in this group seems to have a role. I'm having a little trouble deciding on what Franz is, but I think Larry's is probably his easy way with people. It's not that Stu mm -hmm. doesn't have it. What Larry has... He's got stage presence. He knows how to work a crowd, handle it, and he knows how to handle hecklers. It's it's like in, individually, none of them are suited to do this alone. Together, they have all those different pieces that as long as they can agree, then they'll be okay. Have you ever been in the presence of Bill Clinton? No, not personally. I have attended one speech of his. And even sitting in the way, way back, he's like all five of them combined into one. I've heard that about Bill Clinton, that he he commands such a presence that you could be in a 45,000 person arena and you feel like he's talking to you. It's, it's true. 
like when when you see the ability to stand in front of people that are that are acting like the way that they were acting heckling the, the leaders and stuff like that and then being able to not necessarily put anybody down but just turn things around and be like we're here to appreciate you and and recognize people and show all the achievements that we have and if you if you would like to help with those efforts you're more than you know all the all the tools that larry had there to make everybody quiet and all that he brought them back to a common purpose get that connection to get people ultimately to do what you want in his case he wanted elections but here they want you know they want to build their society and be able to do it in a, in a way that makes it safe for everybody like as you mentioned earlier Stu has that leadership whereas Larry I don't know that he's a leader per se he's a people person I don't think he has that it factor that makes you want to stand up and be responsible for people he's more like the crowd manager in this instance you know, he brings he brings it back to to people to be respectful of Stu, where Stu is just like, I'm trying to be upstanding, I'm trying to be honorable, and you guys are just not letting me get the message out. I, I liked that this is sort of the role for Larry because he was floundering. I like the fact that he threw his pills down the sink, just in a way for him to turn around his own his own life and and finding his purpose. I like that too. So then we have Stu as the figurehead, the, the guy that wants to be the father of the community, basically. But then you have uh, Glenn, who actually knows how to run a society, <laughs> but he doesn't want to stand up there and tell anybody how to do it. No, he's content to be like the strategist in the mm -hmm. background. Like he'll be the numbers guy, but he doesn't want to be the voice. And, and then you have Nick, the conduit to Abigail. It's interesting since the, the nature of his communication issues make it so that when he talks, he has to say what he wants to say and it has to hit. It can't just be some side comment. Well, I'd be a horrible Nick. I would be a terrible Nick. I make I would... mostly side comments. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, we're very tangential, you and I, which is why we probably get along so well. But Nick, he, when they are undecided, even when it comes to the conflict that he faces with his role being in the five versus his closer relationship with Abigail, he has to vote his conscience, which he does. And he does it with just a couple of words. It's great because they needed that. They needed that other person to be like, this is right. And this is what we're doing when it came to the issue of the spies. I did want to mention one thing when the council was having the, the town hall and they were calling out the, the different groups of people that they wanted to acknowledge, the body crew, the, the folks at the power company and the teachers. Larry has Nadine stand up to be recognized. I appreciated the look of how uncomfortable she was at the attention she was trying to blend. She was sitting a little bit further back as if she was to be found out, the look on her face. So I, I appreciated the, the way that the show shows her shift towards Randall, you know, following through from what we saw the last episode out. She she wanted to blend so neatly into the background that she wanted nobody to know that she was even there. And then she had to stand up and just, I, I felt like she was like, the spotlight was shining on her. And then she was just like, they're gonna know, they're gonna know. Well, her ability to do what she needs to do depends a lot on nobody knowing who she is. Right. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of the un-PC days of popular music. I don't know the name of the song, but Caroline likes old music. And so we listen to it every so often. By old, I mean legit old, not like... 90s i mean old music and the whole point of like the chorus is that you're gonna have a much easier life if you pick an ugly woman to be your wife if you want to be happy for the rest of your life make an ugly woman your wife yes <laughs> yes yeah. uh, 
this is why Caroline and I, Caroline and I get along so well. We have similar tastes in a lot of things. Right, exactly. But uh, for the purposes of Flag sending in Amber Heard <laughs> to, to be his spy, she's going to stand out a little yeah. bit in, in a group. Another person that stood up was Harold with his his desire to to accept the slate of the five for a more permanent position without needing to go into you know further debatings you know all that kind of stuff like that that's also as i recall pretty much it as it was from the book mm -hmm. this is maybe a silly question but was that just sort of like a, a kernel in his mind he didn't know what he needed to do exactly because the whole discussion about killing and all that kind of stuff hadn't happened yet i don't think he has like a direct line to randall the same way that that nadine has i think he probably dreams bad scary stuff every so often but i don't think they're talking just yet i don't know that he knows exactly why he's there what he's doing he knows that he he's got bad stuff to do but do you suppose that making that move was a way to make it so that the five of them would be much easier to track in terms of like, well, they have frequent meetings, so they're all in the same place and they have these responsibilities. So they do those things rather than if they return back to just being, you know, normal citizens of Boulder, then they could come, they could go, they could have lives and they'd be much harder for him to work his, his evil plans later. Or do you think there was some other motivation for him to, to stand up and make that declaration? What do you think? That's actually a really good question. I don't think it's a silly question at all. It probably is a way to solidify where, like the whereabouts of this council. Like if the five of them, you know, if they meet regularly, they're going to be like their day job now, quote unquote, is going to be running the Boulder community. So they're going to be together a lot and if he, if he needs to do work for randall because he, he is getting these signals mm -hmm. and it might be a way for him to, and he's, he's also writing an awful lot so i don't know if some of the stuff from randall is flowing onto the page so did kaczynski and manson <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. i just watched um the manhunt the unabomber one uh-huh i just watched that over the weekend you know just get some good new year good vibes going i did binge all of cobra kai on new year's day which was my new year's resolution so check i got that well, one we, done we started at 2 a.m <laughs> uh, i waited until uh i think we started at noon like do not bother me for the next seven hours or whatever worth it oh absolutely I, it ended i was like wait that's it no i need more no that's the all valley i know but i need mm, i need more so uh, that was excellent. But um, yeah, so I don't know if, if um, Harold's, you know, words are spilling onto from his dream, from his subconscious, spilling onto the page. And this was a way for him to put into motion plans that he doesn't even know that he has yet. But he's definitely got inklings that there's things afoot for him. So, yeah, I think that was a really good way for him to to know where these five are going to be. I think he's still holding out hope for Fran at some point, even though he shoots daggers at Stu. He's got a very foul name for Stu when he talks about him. Oh, it was it was bad. In this episode, we get a little juxtaposition, like we mentioned a second ago, that Nick could not be swayed by the promise of immediate boning in order to disparage his friend Tom. Whereas 
Nadine turns it on with with Harold and she doesn't exactly give up the goods right then but she's basically indicating that you know as long as we are simpatico here there are goods <laughs> well, and it's not it's, and she tells him up front it's not going to be the goods it's going to be <laughs> right you're not going to get the main dish you're going to get some of the sides but if you're Harold that, that's still a feast <laughs> we are taking that Christmas dinner metaphor deep here yeah you know, if I came out and said, you know, I'm saving myself for him that she's supposed to be 37 or so in the in the book. It's okay, Harold, that you're a virgin. He's 16, technically. And she's telling him that she's a virgin and I'm going to be his queen. If I came out and said stuff like that, I would sound ludicrous. I guess in the world <laughs> of, you know, Boulder post-Captain Trips, I guess it sounds appealing to... Right, that to, checks to, out. <laughs> Harold's all in. Well, all in for like seven more seconds. And then he's out. Uh, <laughs> Heyo. <laughs> but she tells him something very pivotal. Randall has chosen him for this. Yeah, that might have been what he needed to hear. Um, since I don't think he has that direct conduit to get those communiques himself, uh, he's still, I think he's well aware who Randall is. Hearing that from, from the queen here, that's... Mm -hmm. Queen, Queen B, right? We have two major things left to discuss. We have the spies and less major, we have the City Watch. City Watch isn't that big a deal. <laughs> I think basically it's putting Harold in the jacket to find the pamphlet with <laughs> the explosives on it. Yeah, basically. That all that business about that their main duty is to find a lights accidentally left on, that's true. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. any dead bodies they missed or whatever that's really they're not really the police they're just the city watch this is the question i had earlier that Stu says that there are no laws to enforce and i'm like hmm but there would be laws to enforce because you know inherently going back to to glenn's summation of of a society you know two people and then you know you have seven people there'll be racism and and as people pair up then then the norms that we're used to come back wouldn't they need a law enforcement. I mean, I guess we're not there yet. So this is where I went a little deep with it. I'm like, is this because like the United States technically doesn't exist? Because like we don't have a system of government. Like I, I was going real deep here. I agree with all of that so far as, you know, the system of government that runs the United States in its current form with a thousand people instead would be overkill. You could actually get by with a, a city watch and things like direct dem d democracy you wouldn't need reps really people could right. vote exactly Represent themselves yeah. yeah they that kind of stuff i mean even in in super small and controlled situations dictatorships even work i mean we they wouldn't do that but just because it's america doesn't mean you don't need to look at other options <laughs> for, 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 for government they'll probably go with some parliamentary kind of thing just because that's what they're used to uh, when Larry hits his guitar later on, I think we have an idea where they're headed. They're not going to pick an authoritarian government. They're going to emulate the government mm -hmm. or the United States. They're going to probably right. draft up a constitution, some, something like that. Similar, right. I'm a student of history. I have a, actually a bachelor's degree in history. So I'm like, people, you actually need to pull out a document once in a while and see what's actually enshrined in there. The, the lack of understanding of how things work. I've seen other situations where, say, um, the Supreme Court will decide on something. And then the people in the news will go and ask Joe on the street, well, what do you think about that? And they'll be like, we need to keep working on this. We need to go to a higher authority. It's like, bro, 
that was it. Yep. <laughs> we done. It's over. Their ruling has the effect of law. It is it is like a new law, law was just written by them deciding that. It the, is now. They're unoverridable. Let's flip over to the the spies. The decision to send spies was a was a was a big one. The selection of the spies and and the strategy about them not knowing each other or that they were going at all at the same time all that stuff is direct from the book so book nazis mm -hmm. should be happy there was a change uh, with judge harris made judge harris a lady but they kept the age range about the same i think dana jurgens was the same i believe so i believe so and yeah. then tom cullen was the big one the mm -hmm. question mark that i had a couple weeks ago are they going to keep him mm -hmm. in that in that spot and the answer is yes otherwise uh, why have him exactly you know after they get him where he's memorized what he needs memorized he's very perfect for this this role in in the way that you know i think even without having read the book or seeing the other thing there's going to be a disconnect with flag and his other people in terms of being able to deal with him whether it's through dreams or in person I think Tom's going to be highly dismissible in their minds, mm -hmm. whereas the other two are going to be, especially Dana or or the judge, because you know she's a judge. They are going to be more formidable for one reason or another. Right, his story can't be cracked because he's just got just a few little nuggets of information. So we get them all trained up and we send them out. And we wish them, we wish them well. Bon voyage. Bon voyage on a bike on a bike that was and even a prius right. well tom goes on a bike and but was, judge harris goes in the prius they're in colorado that's some hilly stuff yeah. man in the rockies well yeah because i mean dana laid it out so perfectly like you want me to like drive through the rocky mountains where like you know car trouble was is a death sentence and then drive through the desert and then come back I, I think dana is probably gonna have a different outlook when it comes to her fellow man on this uh, outing uh <laughs> so she's a little saltier yeah after losing jogging suit girl i i believe she might be a cobra kai follower she might strike first yeah. strike yeah. hard yeah no mercy <laughs> no mercy exactly right mercy is for the weak mm-hmm <laughs> last little bit there is recovering the explosive unless you have something else mm -hmm. there's there's the explosives with nadine and harold um the fate of, of poor teddy you know last week i had a question mark of whether or not teddy had any red flags because he was listening to kind of the weird stuff that harold was saying about the um, all the fresh bodies that were going to fill the mass mm -hmm. graves I think I got my answer this week when he was shot yeah, and he told, yeah. he, told, he told he told Harold to run. Right. Because he didn't know that Harold was in on it. Teddy was a good guy that was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And just asking too many questions. So, you know, the second he started asking questions, like, no, Ted, don't do it. Don't ask too many questions. Poor Teddy. You know, with lights being having been restored, there was the guitar playing, there was the crowd cheering. So a gun going off in the distance probably wouldn't, you know, gather that much uh, interest. Or it wouldn't even register. I mean, Teddy was even concerned, like, if The Rock made it through Captain Trips. <laughs> Earlier on, when they were getting their ski jackets, he was looking at the Skyscraper. Yeah, the DVD. that's he was right, wondering, that's right. You know, Teddy's just a good guy. You know, he just, you know, just did my man The Rock guy. make it through? Did you notice, you know, in this episode and, and episodes ago, Stu had talked about seeing a wolf 
in his Batman dreams, mm-hmm. did you notice that while they were looking for the explosives, you could hear wild dogs howling in the background? I didn't make the connection, but I did hear it. I think that's intentional. I think I don't think that's just we're out in the woods. I think we're doing Batman stuff mm-hmm. <laughs> right now, and that's our <laughs> soundtrack to let us know that he's he's with us in some way. He might even be one of the dogs. Doesn't he change into a dog? Isn't that one of the, one of his things? I think that's one of his personas. Yeah, yeah, because the wolf had like red eyes and in his dream, the first one. Yeah, so he might be out there yeah. just supervising from afar. Mm-hmm. Like you know, sitting there like you know, the tentacles of you know his hands coming together. You know, very James Bond villainish. Like oh, yes. <laughs> right, Mr. Bigglesworth. Yes. That's unfortunately where we end for for Teddy. This is uh, not a very mysterious Chekhov's explosive, I'm afraid. (laughs) It's not one of those will they, won't they. It's more like a when they. Yeah, when they, yeah. The the ones that they found are, are pretty, pretty dastardly, so... Are they? I don't know. He said he, Harold was describing them thermobaric. Tri- I'm like, that sounds intense, causing the biggest shock waves. Mm, well, and they, they light, they set the air on fire. Yeah, the fuel air bomb is what he said. Yeah. Something about needing, I mean, if you rationalize it, uh, you know, I don't know anything about explosives, but the idea of needing to put a dent in mountain (laughs) seems like a bigger chore than some other kinds of explosive application just the the density of what you're needing to deal with right like bringing down a building doesn't seem nearly as intense as taking out a mountain exactly that that's what i mean all right so with this episode having having changed very little uh from the from the book i didn't get too many surprises but i would say that i was overall satisfied we got the characters starting to find some of their own in terms of becoming more comfortable with their role in the five etc or even the evil people accepting their missions and and starting to to move in those directions yeah the pairing off of uh of the goods and the bads is definitely happening it's congealing and it's it's feeling very organic like the five the way that they're working together that was one of my notes actually is that they're they're becoming more comfortable with each other. They're comfortable in this role. They're seeming to be okay with needing the different strengths. So I liked that they were recognizing that they don't, not, not, that no one person has it all. I thought it was funny when Stu says that he would volunteer to go out to, to Vegas mm. and they were like, no. And that's actually one of the, the points that I thought of when you asked the question earlier, what you thought was the silly question of why Harold nominated the, uh, the council in Toto was that they said that we're together a lot. We would be noticed if we were missing, if one of us was missing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good point. Yeah, so um, the fact that they are working as a team and it's it's not feeling forced. It's not feeling like there's a power struggle. Um, I, I appreciate that they're they're hewing closely to the book on their their dynamics and their dimensions. Now we're getting to the point where the good and the bad is really starting to congeal so i like how this is happening i feel like the pace of this is good i don't feel like it was rushed they took the time to give us the characters and to give us the fact that you know they were on this journey now the journey is complete right they're in boulder they're establishing their their community america like <laughs> for, for what larry brought to the table i mean we're we're right on the timeline of where now the spies are going out to vegas so now randall is going to come in big time you're right. I mean, the the business in Boulder is is far from done, but it, but it's underway. And now we need to see what the other side has been up to. 
Well, because we got some of that with the, you know, the Ferrari man, Stigmata man, and he was saying, um, you know, people up on poles and just not painting a very pleasant picture of what's going on, talking about slaves being brought in. So I'm curious. I'm curious to see what Randall's got going out there in Vegas. I mean, we saw a little bit with the, the dreams with Nick last time out. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. New director next week. Probably some crossover with the writers, but yeah, new directors. In fact, episodes five and six, Sheila and I got to interview the director of those episodes, Chris Fisher, and we will be including uh, that interview at the end of the sixth episode so that we don't spoil anything but he has a lot to say about the creative process and the decisions that they had to make with recreating randall's world on a budget in canada <laughs> <laughs> So I can't wait to see how he realized that. And also the ticking clock of the actual real life, in real life pandemic, curtailing all of the creative process. And it was just fascinating conversation with him. So I hope you stay tuned for that at the end of episode six for us. Except for Sheila's highly polished spiel this is paul with pod clubhouse and this has been sheila if you can head on over to apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to rate review and subscribe to this podcast so you will know when we drop an episode also if you could leave us a comment five star rating that's all greatly appreciated it really helps people find this show and they can enjoy what you enjoy so thanks for joining us thanks a lot thank you for listening this has been an original pod clubhouse production pod clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.